0: Uh, The first 12 verses, and we will start there. Say amen if you're there. A good group this morning. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who would understand what they heard on the first Day of the seventh month. And he read it from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women uh, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they'd made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and you can read those names. Uh, verse 5 And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skip to verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now verse 9 there, and Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people... This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who is nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. In the time of Nehemiah, what had happened, basically, if you don't know what's happened at this point, in the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the Persians, to the Persian king. He was a nobody. He definitely wasn't somebody who could have been a governor. Uh, Ezra had also come from Persia to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah set out to rebuild the wall. Why? Because Jerusalem laid in ruins. The temple had laid in ruins. They had lived under Persian captivity for generation after generation up to this point. I mean, so for Nehemiah and Ezra, they're seeing the land of their forefathers for the first time, and they move here with the intentions to rebuild. Now mind you, there had been generations now that had grown up who had never seen the former Jerusalem. They'd never seen it in its glory. They'd never seen it fixed or rebuilt. No one came to them or no one was born there with the vision to build it back again. Nehemiah and Ezra show up. And um, you've got to remember a lot of the things that had happened. They'd lived as a defeated people for a long time. It had become their identity. Otherwise, they would have rebuilt the wall and they would have rebuilt the temple without Ezra and Nehemiah. I mean, as soon as they hear the word of God, which, by the way, means they heard what they weren't doing, what they were guilty of, it says they wept at the mere sound of it. The more Ezra would read, the more they understood the chasm between them and God. But they also remembered who they belonged to. And the God of their forefathers is who they belong to. Now, this has been like on my heart all week. This idea of being away from God and returning to him. Because that's what this is. This is a story of return. It's been on my heart for so long, truthfully now, I can't remember a time where I didn't think this is what, I don't know if it's what God called me to, but it's the very thing, like if I was to put a pulse on what was wrong with the church, it's this, that she does not return to her husband. She's tried all these things, but she has not returned. And I feel this pulling at my heart. It's always pulling at my spirit. And as we approach a new year, man, I know there's a lot of sermons preached about New Year resolutions, about restarting our life, about... Living our best life now, or something to that effect, and those things are okay. And there's some merit to those things. We should try to strive forward. Uh, we should try to advance our passions, our goals. I'm okay. I think those are good things. It's good to commit to coming more uh, to church on Sundays. It's good to commit to starting to tie. Those are good things. It's good to set goals for finances, for physical health, for building funds, for whatever it is you're wanting to accomplish in your life. Those are good things. I'm not here to take away from that, whether present or future, but I don't want us to lose sight of what our mission is. What our goal is. Our goal is to return. and Not just to anything. Well, how do I just return to God? No, 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 no. To return to our first love. It's more. I'm be very specific. That first time when your eyes are open and you really feel for the first time the freedom of Jesus Christ and understanding that he loves you and he dies for you. Now, we can say that and it, and it just sounds so generic, this mission of what god has done but you know it when you feel it you know it when you first understand as if a light has turned on inside of you and you know that you've been forever changed you know it you feel it deep within you to return to that first love my greatest fear as i pursue this idea of return is become and this is if i'm not careful i think we might be living in this day is we that we become the church of ephesus now turn with me to revelations chapter 2 Just the first seven verses, chapter two, Revelation, chapter two, last book of the Bible. Say amen if you're there. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, listen right here, I know your works. Your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless. You repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the which I hate too. Nicolaitans. That's Yeah. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now listen to what he said there. It is good to be patient. He's, con- he's agreeing with that. He's some good things here. It's good to be patient. It's good that you're abstaining from evil. It's good that you're challenging what is false. Those are good things. You're recognizing the things that aren't right. You're seeing the things between good and bad, and you're recognizing it. All your works look pretty good, right? He says, but shall we do, shall we do everything right just for the sake of the works? Shall we do outreach upon outreach, sing songs, enjoy the dinner table together so we can just say we follow Christ? Because that's what's happening in Ephesus. Shall we worry more about our outward works and our imperfection of faith? Because that's what's also going on in Ephesus. All the works are there. They're all good. Think about this. The church in Ephesus was guilty of doing everything right. Did you catch that? They're guilty of doing everything right, and yet they were guilty of not loving Christ as they once did. To the point, he says, I will put out the light. Whoa. But it's a good church, pastor. They're reaching out to people. They're helping people. They do good works there. They abstain from evil. They do all the right things. Yeah, but they don't love me. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Well, how can they do all these good things and not love Jesus? Because tell me, doesn't it feel good to do something good for somebody else? That alone can become idolatry. That has nothing to do with God. We can under the, understand the. Listen, I, I saw one of the things that they had on TV the other day. They were going through these kids saying, what is some of the things you learned for, in 2016? And this like six-year-old said, I learned karma, that if I'm nice, someone will be nice to me. Yeah, so we get that. We get if we do good things, good things happen for us. And we can, we can give the handout because we want the handout back. That has nothing to do with Jesus. That has nothing to do with understanding the love of Jesus. They did everything right, but they were guilty of not loving Christ. What New Year's resolutions are you hoping to achieve? Have you put any thought of what it might cost you? There are so many things I want to do as a church. But if I'm not careful, I can accomplish those things. I can be successful without loving Christ like I should. I'm going to tell you, that's what I fight every day. I tell people all the time, my biggest struggle as a pastor trying to plan a church is that I know I could grow it full of people, but I'm not sure I could grow it closer to God. So I have to fight myself. Because I feel like God has given me such a gift that I could totally rely on my gift of knowing people. And by the way, I get paid to do marketing and advertising for a business. So I get marketing and advertising. I get the social media platform. I get how to sell a church. I get it. I can do it. I've done it. But is my I, there's the void is not being filled. I'm not closer to Jesus because I grow. I can be. I can do everything right and miss the very thing I'm aiming for. There's so many things I want to do. I want to accomplish these things. But I want Christ. He deserves to be loved. I can make and build this church around good works, and they would be good. Dare I say, even godly. But they would lack the one thing Christ is asking of me, which is a heart devoted fully to him. That's what he wants. He doesn't care that we meet in this building. He doesn't care if we meet at all. You know what he cares about? That we love him. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. What changes you is his love. As I draw closer to him, his love for me so overwhelms me, I want to share it with everyone. Can you believe how loving He is? Can you see how graceful He is? Can you see how wonderful He is? And it makes me want to tell everyone. It makes me want to. I, I, I'm filled up, full of His love to pour out on others. I start to see people like He sees them. And I, all I want for them is for them to know His love like I know His love. And then you could be free as well. So this new year, I aim to start us right off where we begin. Where we all started this journey. If you came to this church where we started all this together. Mosaic is not a country club for the religious. It is a home for the broken and brutally honest. I'm not saying this if there's someone here that thinks like this. I'm saying it as a reminder where we started this church. What good would it be to keep advancing and growing if we lose who we are in the process? Look, I want growth. I would love to fill all these tables up. But I don't want them here just to be here. If you're coming just so you feel good about coming to church and can say you came to church, you're not here for the right reason. And there are plenty of other churches out here that would love to have you fill their seats so they can count you. But not this place. What good would it be to keep advancing and to keep growing if we lose who we are? And listen, it's human nature, guys. In our pursuit of the things that we desire, we always forget. We always forget where we come from. And it's like we use a new year time to always go back and go, man, this is really what I want. These are the things that I want. These are the things. Because what happens in life, we forget about it. Come on, man. I'm going to get skinny every year. <laughs> every year, I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do this more. And what happens? Life happens. We forget. The things that we desire, the things that we go, the things that we we beat ourselves up, we live guilty, none of that's godly. We forget where we come from. This means that this morning I'm here to once more encourage you to run against the grain, to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm here reminding us that the way forward is the way back that we will advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by returning to him, by going back to our first love, by return, by being. How do we do this? Well, we do it, first of all, by being brutally honest about who we really are, our successes, our failures, our ups or downs, our triumphs and defeats. We are able to convey the truth of the gospel that Jesus loves us as we are when we're brutally honest about who we are. If I give off some false perception of who I am and attribute it to Christ, there's no power in that. The power is being honest that you could see my flaws. You see the very things that makes me human and then see Christ in me overcoming those things. That's when you see Christ. That's when you're affected. Like when, you, like when I heard the gospel for the first time by a guy who was telling me that Jesus loves him, even though we're sitting right in the middle of doing things that aren't right. But you know what? I looked at him, and the one thing that I could sell, I t- I, you know, y'all heard this story where I told Joy, I said, man, I don't know if Jesus is real, but that guy believes it with everything in him. There's something convincing about the person who really knows who Jesus is and who's really been set free. Go back, he says, to your first love. Go back to that beginning. You know that part where you're still kind of screwed up and everybody kind of knows you as the person. Like, uh, he just found Jesus. You can tell because his life is still a wreck, but, you know, he's all happy. (laughs) It's like counterintuitive, right? Like, dude, you're still struggling with drugs and alcohol. I know, but Jesus loves you, man. He's going to forgive me. I I love, uh, have you seen, no brother, where art thou? My favorite part, right, he runs in there to be baptized, he comes up out of the waters and he goes, boys, come on in, the water is fine. And they're like, oh, he done got saved. (laughs) And he says, Jesus done forgive me of all my sins. What about that Piggly Wiggly store you knocked off back in Tennessee? Well, he forgave me of that too. He said, "You you lied, you said you didn't do it. Well, I lied and he still forgave me of that too. It don't make no sense. But that's the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, he loves us. It's so funny. You know, I know, like, when you're a kid, I know that you were, like, taught as a kid. We we all do this. We punish our kids when they're bad, and we reward them when they're good. And so you you, you, you think love is based off merit because that's how you've been trained your whole life. And the love of Jesus doesn't work like that. Oh, yeah, it might work amongst us off merit. Like when you do bad, I am disappointed. Or when you do good, right? I love you more. And we kind of understand this overarching family love where I'll always love you. But Jesus says, while you were still bad, I loved you. And when you're good, I don't love you anymore. I love you. It's not merited off who you are and how you behave, it's all off Him. It's all off Him. We've got to start being honest. About where we're at, man. We've got to be honest about where we're at spiritually, emotionally, physically. We gotta be able to say these things. You know, I make light of it, man. I wanna lose weight every year. I make light of it, but I gotta talk about it. I'm gonna do act like it act like it ain't true, act like something I gotta talk about. I gotta be honest about it. Why? Because be lying, not not just to you, but to myself. The Church of Ephesus proves that good works aren't the mark of a believer. The love of Christ is the only mark of a believer. I don't care what you do. I don't care how many ministries you run. I don't care what you're the pastor of, pastor. The mark of a believer is the love of Jesus. I don't care what I've started. I don't care what name we hold ourselves at. It's the love of Christ that will produce good works. Yeah, that's true. But this shows us that God holds our personal relationship above that of good works. God's more interested in how we really are than what we've done or do. Now, people, they're more interested in what you do. That's the only way they can judge you, and we all judge people. We all do. If I were to write a New Year's resolution, it would be really simple. It would be like this. To love Jesus more, to trust Jesus more. That would be like number one. Love Jesus more, trust Jesus more, and believe Jesus more. That would be my number one right and listen and here's why that that needs to be the only thing on the list right because number two would be this scripture that would follow number one but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you what do i need to long for if i will just seek god if i will seek him if i will know him and come to know him more what does anything else matter god says it will be added unto me if i will seek him first if I will make him number one, those all those other resolutions you got in there, and God's like right in there, once, One, of it uh, uh, doesn't matter. All these other things that your heart is longing for, all these things that are, first of all, they're going to be good things and right things with the Lord, because the Lord has the best interest in you more than you do. All right? But if you will just long for God more, if you will, if you will live for his love more and seek him more and try to just be with him more and love him and trust him and believe in him, then you won't have to worry about all the other little things in your life worrying about going right or wrong. Trust Him. These things shall be added unto you. Believe Him when He says it. Believe Him. This is the same mission for this church. We're not going to worry about what's next. Ever. We're going to focus on loving Jesus with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. If we can just start here, all the things that we pray for or hope for with this church or with individuals, right? Right? and we're believing for, it will happen. I don't have to worry about how are we going to reach people and tell them about the love of Jesus. No, I have to worry about loving Jesus. That's hard enough. That's hard enough. I have to worry about, I've got to get up, I have to make time for him. I have got to seek his face. I have got to love on him more. I need to hug his neck more because then I won't worry about anything because my comfort will be found in him. We're not going to worry about those things. We're not going to think about those things. We're going to just focus on loving Jesus. We aren't going to win our friends, family members, and community by doing good things, guys. We're going to win them with our commitment to love Jesus above anything and everything else. It starts there. In our passion to love Christ, we will find a love that will conquer, I promise you, every stone heart, every drug, every drink, every abandoned child or teenager, every hungry person, every struggling veteran. And if I'm missing anyone, I promise you God will make sure they are not forgotten or abandoned and He will either send us to them or He will bring them to us. Why? Because the love of Jesus will be found here. And if the love of Jesus is found here, good works will just come. It'll just pour out. We won't seek our name for Mosaic for all to see from all falls. We'll seek that the name of Jesus be seen for all. I don't care if anybody ever knows who we are, or where we're at. What I care about is if they know where Jesus is and they know who he is. That's all that's going to matter. Brendan Manning's quote that, that we always say all the time, we come as we are and not as we should be for none of us are as we should, should be has really become the mantra to our core beliefs here. Do we believe it? I know we say it, but I'm not sure we understand it at times because if it were so, I know that we would all live with a bit more forgiveness and and compassion. I hear people say all the time they don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites and liars and fakers. Yeah, you're right. The church is full of all sorts of people. It's a hospital for the broken, the hurting, the dying, and for some, it—it it, listen, guys, it even has a psych ward for those who think they're perfectly fine. <laughs> However, my hope is that we as a church will maintain the courage to be honest about it. That's the church I want to go to, where transparency and brokenness aren't taboo, but rather encouraged. I want to attend a church that doesn't try to hide its problems or use clever speech to deceive people because I've been to too many or feel as if they have, you know, have to be someone else to fit in. Man, that's one of the reasons I get tired of pastors and ministry. Oh, Lord, hold my mouth. I want to I be a part of a group of believers, real disciples that crave honesty and truth like water. who <clears throat> see, brokenness, as an opportunity to display the grace of God and see transparency as liberty. I want to build a church that's free of false perfection. Quit worrying about what you look like, what you oh, Come on, just worry about Him. Have you spent time with Him today? Have you loved on Him today? Have you held His neck? Have you held Him close? All those other little things that you dislike about yourself, eventually you'll come to see through the eyes of Jesus, even to your own self, and forgive yourself. Then you will truly be free. Our identity will never be we are mosaic. Rather, we will be a church that exists to praise, worship, and identify with the name of of all names, the name of Jesus Christ. That means we will say that we are Christ. There is no we are mosaic. It's we are Christ. That's who we are. We identify with him above all things. We are his possession, his prize, his redeemed vessel. The name Mosaic Community Church will fade away, and the things we do uh, and the things we've done will fade away, but the works of Christ will live on. The inward spiritual change will create an outward physical change for the better of our life, the lives of our friends, family, community, and even our nation, man. We're still playing church. We're still playing it. But I long for Revival. That's like my standard, guys. That's what I'm shooting for. The goal is revival. That's what we seek. And let me tell you something. It shows up in the smallest of places. So lest you feel like, well, I'm only ordinary, Pastor. I have only been saved this long. And I'm not the devout prayer that I think I should be. And before you beat yourself up and claim your unworthiness, remember, God loves you. Jesus loves you in your unworthiness. Jesus makes you worthy. Quit thinking that stuff. It's like you trying to tell God what's good and what's not. Makes no sense. Revival shows up in the smallest of places amongst the humble few that seek God with a fierce tenacity in prayer and devotion. However, all revival is preluded by a Jesus movement. You know, revival is not necessarily in the Bible, yet we see it in the Bible. Before you have an Acts 2 revival, you have a Jesus movement in the Gospels. And it does not happen without the Jesus movement. There can be no revival without Jesus. Jesus. A movement of intense prayer, an earnest seeking of the face of Christ. If revival is to be found in Marble Falls, it will be by those who passionately desire it to the point that they obsess over it and anguish in prayer over it. I'm going to let you listen to the words of David Wilkerson this morning.
1: And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. Obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Where happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred. Then it becomes painful, acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you, or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, the agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the Scripture, and you find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, He would share His own anguish for what God saw happening to His church and to His people. And he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? The fulfillment Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a prayer man. This was a praying man. And God found a man Do not just have a flash of emotion. Not just some great sudden burst of concern, and then let it die. He said, "No, I broke down, and I wept, and I mourned, and I fasted, and then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men? Why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration?" Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruined. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all that God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That There's such a coldness sweeping the land the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts the sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion blind to lukewarmness blind to the mixture that's creeping in that's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it so you won't labor in prayer anymore you won't weep before God anymore you can sit and watch television and you're going to hell let me ask you is what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I'm going to tell you something I've learned over all my years is the fears of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it had not been borne by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God, I know now, oh my God, do I know it, until I'm in agony, until I have been anguished over it, and all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do. Where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids? They know. They're not hearing and They're going, to hell. You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, his heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's something to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Didn't want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care. What kind of new house there is absolutely nothing physical can give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey him and take on his heart. Amen. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire.
0: I want this. I'll tell you, like, my heart's been burning. I I wasn't kidding. Man, I live, eat, and breathe this. This is what I want. I'm guilty of a lot of things. I'm guilty of watching too much. I'm guilty of not praying enough. Guilty. And yet, the desire and the passion for the thing that I want us to return and us to go back and, and the things to be right, because I know if people could just see Christ like I see Christ. But I'm like everybody else. Along the way, I get... Distracted along the way, I want the easier path. A lot, I want the immediate happiness and not the joy. And so I substitute things. And constantly, the word that comes to me is "return," Jim. Return. Go back to your first love, Jim. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. I want this. I want everyone that I come in contact with to know the love of Jesus to the point that it's overflowing—a tsunami flood of grace. This is what I want for 2017. It's what I want for for me. It's what I want for you and for everyone else I know. And I hope that every time that we're able to come and meet together, that this is the place where you can let your hair down, okay? That that you can just be you. Where you can be real. Where we can share our kindred anguish. (laughs) For the things that we long for and the the dreams and the passion that God has birthed in us. I want you to be able to come in here and be accepted and embraced. Know that you're forgiven. And I think there's a long road that lies ahead, and and I'm going to push you this year. I'm going to challenge you at where you're at in your prayer life. I'm going to challenge, listen, you're going to you're going to have to walk with me too, because it's a challenge for me as well. And I can tell you of days where the Lord had moved upon me in seasons where I would pray an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And I would do this before the day because I felt really guilty as a pastor if I got paid to pray. How can that be honorable before the Lord? So I would pray early in the mornings before uh, 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 church would any, or, or the day would begin officially. And then I would wait till five o'clock and I'm going to go in and I'm going to pray again for another hour. And, I, and let me tell you something. God moved and did some incredible things during those times. And let me tell you what happens. Immediately, a season goes by. It changes. I go back to just praying in the morning. I cut it down to about 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling guilty. Like, well, as soon as anything goes wrong, I go, it's because I'm not praying enough. And God, there again, I put God right back in the situation of you're just the punisher when we don't do right. And I forget the very thing that I first walked with him and understood him. That yet, while I was a sinner, he loved me. And I make God right back into a human being again. I make him into the image of us all the time. Prayer does not change God, it changes us. And this is a long road, I know. And I'm going to push you, I'm going to challenge you. Be ready, if you're comfortable all the time, get ready to be uncomfortable. Again, that goes for me too. We're going to do things and try things we've never done that the church doesn't normally do. Doesn't mean we won't do things as a collective whole, but I want us to be challenged this year to be individually proactive in evangelism. Well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You do it all the time. Anybody ever asked you for somebody doesn't have lunch that day or whatever and you go out and buy their lunch. Welcome to evangelism. Why do you do it? Because you love them. Because you want to be nice to him. You bring up the word every, every chance you get. You bring up Jesus every chance you get. You don't have to talk about it all the time. You get to know somebody. That's how they know that you love him. When you can accept them just like they are. Which is so funny to me how we are as Christians about that. We act like we can't go hang around people who are sinners. Wait a minute. That's exactly the people we hang around. Jesus did too. Well, what about if I fall or fail? Listen, I'm not telling you if you're an alcoholic to go back into a bar. You won't see me do that but it doesn't mean that I don't talk to people who still drink or hang out. Uh, listen, I work with a bunch. You know the irony is? We'll talk about the Bible every morning at work. And you, know, you think I have to worry about them stopping to drink. Or, listen, it might not be sin for them. Maybe one day it will be. But you think it's, listen, I trust Jesus. You know how I learned to trust Him? By spending time with Him. By ref- Check this out. By going back and remembering my first love that... As I remember my own walk with Jesus, nobody had to tell me what to do or not to do. The more I walk with Jesus, I simply became. Christ moved in me. And the things that maybe were a distraction for me or an idol before me suddenly disappeared. They're burned up. They're gone from me. I don't even know when it happened. I, I feel so guilty but because there's like these uh, people who have all these dates, like when they quit this and when they quit that, and there's like all these monumental moments. I can't tell you. All I can say is I walk with Jesus and we were talking, and just one day it wasn't no more. I feel like the whole Enoch story, right? You know, we got Enoch walked with God, and he just wasn't no more for God took him. I feel like that's what God has done to some of the things that have bothered me in my past. We've walked alongside to all of a sudden the thing that was bothering me, is like, like, did you just change the subject? Where did that part of my life go? I mean, like, I was walking in that part of my life, and all of a sudden, it's gone from me. So don't I trust God that it's like that with everyone? Think it's different? Like, he walks with them. He's patient with them. If something needs to be removed, what am I supposed to be like the person? Jesus, let me give you a little heads up. Just in case you don't know God, uh, he sees it. And if he loves him, if he loves her, and he sees it, and he still loves it's good enough for me. Good enough for me. You know where I'm reminded of that? At the beginning. 15 years down the road, not so much, guys. 15, 20 years down the road, it's easy for me to get very religious. Why aren't you doing right? Why aren't you doing good? Why aren't you this? Because let me tell you, I've heard it in the church. And I, I've said this in here too. If you walk with God for any length of time, you will become the Pharisee at some point. Why aren't they doing this? Because I'm delivered. I mean, within five years, I totally came out of all those things. Well, good for you, man. Some of us, like Paul said, are a little bit more messed up than others. Paul called himself the chief sinner. I think there's people who can give him a run for his money. 2017 is going to be a year for growth for us, spiritual growth. That means challenge, and that means change. So I'm challenging you to be ready. God is calling us not just farther, but deeper deeper and he has called me to an accountability in the process god is saying i've called you to do a work we've got to get to work we've got to get to work a church that has a jesus or a revival is a church that has a jesus moment how do we get to have a jesus moment prayer where do you think the anguish and passion is going to come from What do you think that when he, you think he thinks that the internet and the, uh, uh, the internet and TV and all those things are the devil? He doesn't think any of those things. He doesn't think any of those things. What he, what he's saying in that moment is these are the distractions that keep you from being close to Jesus. What are the distractions in your life that are keeping you from that first love with God? What are the distractions in your life that are holding you back from times of prayer? Second of all, quit beating yourself up when you miss it. Right? Remember sinners saved by grace? Believe it or not, I don't care how long you're saved, it still applies. Still applies. Get back up and try again. Get back up and try again. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus has already forgiven you. Listen, by the way, he walks with you all day. All right? He forgives you. But this church will be the church of prayer. You know, I I I felt it was prophetic last year. When they asked us to help with all the school supplies, Lakeshore does that big outreach for all the school supplies. And our, what was our part to play in it? Prayer. What's our reputation? Prayer. The spiritual side of this community. Right? Because the good work side, let's, let's be honest, man, come on. That's the physical labor. I've always said, like, I, I always loved working at the church. Like, man, you want to let me? I will paint. I will sweep. I will vacuum. Some of you like, I will let you. But I'm going to tell you, you know, I always like that because I could see the fruit of my work for God. Because what's the place where you hardly ever see the fruit of your work? Prayer. <laughs> it takes a different kind of person to be devoted to prayer. But go back and look at every revival where it all starts. Go back and look at the book of Acts. Where does it start? Where does the outpouring start? It starts by those who are willing to humble themselves, have patience, and pray. You wanna see, it's not about wanting to see great things like let's just long for Jesus. All the good things you hope will happen in your life will be a result of your longing for Jesus. And all the bad things in your happen in your life will not matter because you will have the joy of the Lord with you because you long for Jesus. Matter of fact, you probably annoy people. You'll be like, I can't stand you. You're happy all the time. It's gotta be fake. Nope. You, and you know what some of you are going to be like, no, I work really hard for that. You know what I do? I have to get up every morning before everybody else. And I get up in my quiet time and I pray. That's why I'm happier. Listen, man, you can too. And you know what ultimately, you know what we say to ourselves when we don't? Yeah, I don't want to be that happy. <laughs> That's a sad truth, right? It's like, I don't want to be. Like, what if I told you, listen, I'm just, you could quote the Bible stuff, right? I mean, and everybody knows, you listen to David Wilkerson, you know he's telling the truth, right? If you'll give yourself to prayer and you'll give yourself over to those things, you'll, you'll have a joy unspeakable. And every time you choose not to pray, you're, what you're saying is, I'm going to try to find it somewhere else. It's too hard. I can't do it. Yet You're right. You can't. What you do is, is got to start trying. The more you try, you get back up, you try again. You get back up, you try again. You're not going to will this thing into happen. Jesus is going to help you along the way. Some of you are going to get up and it's going to be like, in two minutes, I prayed for 150 people. In two minutes, it was 150 people. That's who I talked to and, and, and prayed about. Lord, I don't even know how you got 150 names said in two minutes. But that's what will happen. And so as you, okay, that's a new one on me. That's a new one on me. We'll lock the door next time. Hey, I'm just excited. She still came walking in. Like, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'll eat and listen to this. That's okay. That's good. Maybe we should serve food on Sundays. I don't know. Get a menu going. Tell, tell her just come on in and start serving. Um, but that's how it, listen, we start out Small. Well, I only pray five minutes, and all these people, they're praying like, let's quit looking at everybody else. Just worry about you. Just worry about you. I always uh, love Spurgeon. He used to say the powerful effective, of like the small, powerful prayer comes from long, private prayer. Listen, you start it however you start. How does any relationship start? You spend time. You talk to him. Talk to him normal, by the way. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to lie. I've prayed in the King James before. Welcome to trying to figure it out. It sounded better. Like, to me, it sounded like, dude, I am way holy right now. You're probably listening. God, you're impressed. Don't lie. Because I didn't grow up listening to King James. Come on. So I mean, like, God, yeah, I've read so much King James. I talk in King James now. Lord, thy name is holy. God, thou hast giant. You're just so, Lord, thy is the greatness. And I would say all the these and the thous, and I love all that stuff. I love it. God's not impressed. I have arguments with God. And I hate it because He always wins. True. And there's give and take. And there's times where I have the same things that I have with like my wife or anybody else. I don't want to talk to you right now. Why? Because I know you speak nothing but right, and here's where the revelation of my own heart, and I know that my heart doesn't want it, right? And it becomes a self-conviction on me because I know he's right. I know that the Spirit is bearing witness of righteousness. How do do you get to that place? It starts by talking, and if it starts with you for five minutes, then give him five minutes, but it's got to start. There is no advancing without returning. There's no going forward. There is no evangelism. There is nothing, there is nothing, nothing without the love of Jesus. And there's no way that you can can look at this or separate than that of the love that you understand. Listen, when I talk about love, man, you need to be thinking the love that you feel. You know the emotional feeling of attachment that you have for a spouse or for a friend. You say, man, I love them. I would do anything for them. That needs to be the same thing you feel for Christ. It's not like a belief. Like, I believe in this. I believe in this love that I know. No. It's tangible. There's a, there's a, an actual physical feeling towards this, this longing, this this listen, this same thing, thing that makes me crazy about him. This this thing that would make me like have anguish and passion and take somebody who has done has struggled and, and to make horrible decisions when they're uh, uh, just comatose on alcohol and drugs and all of a sudden become a pastor or preacher. Why? Because God has born something in me by hanging out with me, and I begin to see His heart and what He wants. And can I tell you? I start to long for the thing he wants because like I, I see the freedom that he's given me, and I just like, why won't you walk in it? And can I tell you, I think that he's like that with you sometimes too. Why won't you walk in the freedom which I've purchased? Why won't you accept this love that I give you freely? Don't you realize I, I am not like your friends or the people who judge you? I accept you freely. Well, God, I don't want to change. I'm not saying change. What well, I'm to tell you this though if you hang around him long, you will change. God says, repent, that's all. Turn. Well, God, I'm failing to do that. Keep walking with me. Trust me. Trust my love. Trust me. That's all you got to do. We can do all the good works and never move forward. We can be the church with all the lights and all the smoke and the fantastic worship. Crowds booming everywhere while our city is dying and decay it's all just ruin. 2017 I'm not going to let it be that I'm going to push you I'm going to prod you I'm going to do it in the way that I can and I'm going to try to do it as lovingly as I possibly can but I, I'm going to hold you accountable to things why because it's God that wants to see you grow God wants to see you grow and it's not according to what I think you should grow. No, you'll grow according to how your relationship with him is. There's nothing I'm going to teach you that's going to grow you. The Holy Spirit is going to do that part. You will hear today what you needed to hear today. Period. That's not, that's not on me. That's between you and the Lord. My job is to try to keep you, pressing you, pushing you into him, forcing you to collide all the time. Forcing you to have to make decisions with Jesus all the time. That's my whole, if I have any kind of responsibility, my responsibility is to make you confront Christ as much as possible. Look at your mate. Love him. Know him. Can't you sense his love for you? Can't you feel it? It should be tangible. You should know it. And from that, something will be birthed. I don't have to worry about that. Don't you know that's how it is? Right? That's how all things are birthed, in the quiet place. That's where all things are. We're going to get ready, and we're going to do some worship. And I want you all to be thinking about that this morning. Are you being honest with yourself? Really. And quit putting things off. (laughs) Be honest with where you're at. Know yourself. Quit, no pretend stuff. You and Jesus, he sees right through you. I might not. I don't have to. That's not up to me. Jesus sees. And he's not condemning you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Don't go there. Lord, I feel guilty about this. And listen, listen. God's here to say this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, whom the Son set free is free indeed. You are free from condemnation. And if you are heaping it upon yourself right now, I rebuke that spirit. May you feel the love and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. May you feel the love and peace that comes from knowing who he is. (laughs) May she feel the love and peace of knowing who she is. Amen. Let's have the worship team come.
2: Let the fire fall in the window, let the glory come down. Let the fire fall in the window, let the glory come down. Let the fire fall in the window, let the glory come down. Let the fire fall in the window, let the glory come down. this morning. Fire fall at the window, let your glory come down, let the fire fall at the window, let your glory come down. Oh, let the fire fall at the window.
0: God Father help us to find help them God give us a heart that longs only for you clear from us the distractions of life God help us build the wall around our heart God Protect us, God. Repair the breaches, God. The things that we've said okay to that weren't okay to, God. Repair those places. Renew us again with the right spirit. It's not just for another year, God. It's for our life, God. Help us understand that, God. The gravity, the bigness of who you are, God, so we could see the smallness of all these other things. And we would understand the value of our time with you. Lord, we are so small. Our minds are so small. We're so feeble, God. We, we have such little understanding, God. And we are so fleeting and so, Lord, helpless uh, when it comes to temporal things and pleasure, God. But give us godly wisdom in this hour, God. Give us godly, uh, Lord, wisdom and heart and mind, God, to know the things of the Spirit, God. Creating us a time, God, where we would spend with you and attach ourselves with you, and that our hearts could be as one with yours, so that we would love others the way you love them. Lord, remind us that that is what's going to change the world. Not another program, not a better song. Lord, not any invention of man, not any gift you've given us, but your love and your love of cross for your gift to us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Now if there are those who need prayer, I I will meet with you this morning. If you want to come talk to me along the side, I I will be over here to the left side over here. And uh, I know they'll be tearing down and setting up and those kind of things. Don't be distracted. If you need prayer this morning, come find me. Come find me. Let me pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you. Or find somebody that will pray for you. Matter of fact, let's, let's, let's go. If you need prayer, come to the front. Come now. The altar is open. The altar is open before the Lord. And maybe God's calling you to be the one to pray for someone. Maybe that's what you feel this morning, that you're being called. You know that you have a walk with the Lord, one in which where God hears you and you know God. And you can intercede on behalf of someone. And maybe this is the beginning of your ministry for you, the ministry of intercession And if that's you, come lay a hand on one of these individuals this morning that comes to the front. And maybe this morning you're just standing there and in the quietness. You don't want to come and you don't want to be embarrassed and you're not ready to let everything down that you've built up, this false persona, this false perception. You want to be strong or maybe you feel embarrassed. If that's you this morning, know that Jesus loves you right where you're at. He sees right through all that, know that. But he loves you right where you're at, and he will meet you right where you are at. Will you just raise your hands towards those who are here in the altar this morning?